right, guys, welcome to the Zenfluence podcast. I'm sitting here with a special and fascinating guest, more than just an inventor, a founder, and an engineer. You're going to meet Worley, aka William Hurley. And uh, before we even dive into this, I just want to list off what, a couple things that William Hurley has done in his life and what he spent his time on. But he is the CEO at Strangeworks, where he's humanizing quantum computing tools. He's an author as well at, of Data Not Drama. He's a VC general partner at Ecliptical Capital, uh, an inventor at residence at MIT, an ambassador at Syrian Society, an Eisenhower fellow, has a family in Austin and is also a dad. Uh, he's a senior member of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, and he sold three companies, which is amazing. Uh, number one, Honest Dollar to Goldman Sachs in 2016, Chaotic Union Studios to Accenture in 2014, and he also sold a gaming company that spun off it. And this is one of my favorite parts too. Um, Worley worked at Apple when he started his career in 1994 to 1997 as a research and development engineer. And I was just blown away by his ability to design his products. And he worked with Steve Jobs or for Steve Jobs. So uh, I guess with that, Worley, I'll just pass it over to you. And you just strike me as someone super fascinating. Um, how do you describe yourself? So, well, so just, I'm just me, but as a point of clarity, so I, I worked at Apple right before Steve Jobs was coming back when he was wandering around still yelling at engineers, but like, you know, he wasn't my boss or anything. I want to make sure we were super clear of that. Um, I, I have, was, was one of a group of people that was yelled at once though. So that's, I guess that counts, right? But, um, but uh, I, uh, you know, I'm just me. I'm just trying to have fun, uh, do stuff. I think entrepreneurship is, the great equalizer. It allows everybody. I mean, people block themselves from starting companies and doing things more than anything else. Like mm -hmm. it's self-doubt. It's the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt. They don't give themselves permission to go be successful. And it's easy to talk about all the various things, gender, privilege, all of these things. But I know, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of entrepreneurs around the world from every kind of social, economical, uh, sexual orientation, everything background that have been successful. And I point to them and say, anybody can do that. Like anybody can do what I've done. It's not that hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment. There's a lot of risk. You know, startups don't like uh, families or hobbies or other commitments, right? They're all consuming. And startups are always in one or two phases, right? They're struggling or they're out of business. And so when an entrepreneur comes to me, be it at the CERN Entrepreneurial Student Program or, you know, when I'm at MIT with the Legatum Center, and they're like, you know, you say, how's it going? I say, and Jeremiah says, it's going great. Everything is absolutely fantastic. Like it couldn't be better. I know that Jeremiah, you're lying to me, yourself, or both of us, right? Because I've never, none of those companies you talked about, none of the startups I've ever worked at, none of the startups I do in the future will be like, had a great idea. People give us money, built an amazing product. Everybody bought it. We're rich. Like that's not how any of these stories go. So the, you know, for everybody out there, if you're struggling, good. That's exactly what you signed up for and where you should be. And if you think it's going great and you're like, I'm not struggling, should really go look at every aspect of your company right now because you're definitely missing something. <laughs> so, so I guess really in that case, were you an entrepreneurial like kid like growing up back to your childhood? What, what was that like? Were you drawn towards entrepreneurship? So I wasn't always entrepreneurial. I was always creative. Like I've always liked taking things apart, messing with things. I love art. I love music. I love science. You know, I've always had a great appreciation for all of these things. And 
that doesn't mean I'm some sort of renaissance man, right? I'm certainly not mm-hmm. the most educated man on the planet. I'm not the most experienced person on the planet either. Um, but, it, I, you know, I grew up in Germany, a military brat. My brother was born in Germany. He's five years younger. Um, moved to the States, um, uh, played football in Germany, came here to play football, two different footballs. So that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a little bit of my first culture shock. Um, but, you know, uh, went to, you know, middle school, high school, didn't, never went to college, um, wanted to play in a band originally, right? Got in a bad accident uh, in 1991 on Friday the 13th. It incapacitated me and band moved on and I spent the money building a digital recording studio. And that was probably my first like glimpse at entrepreneurship. It was certainly not a startup. I certainly had no, like if I met myself back then, I'd be like, you're an idiot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but it, was, it was kind of a glimpse into, hey, maybe I could make my own way. Maybe I don't need a boss. Maybe I could be in command of my own future. And that's what everybody listening to this should be thinking about entrepreneurship. Look, I can go get a loan and get money. I can get credit cards and get access to money. I can do a million things to get money. I can go and make more money. I've gotten pretty good at the startup thing and they're not, you know, billion dollar successes, uh, but life is really great for, for, for the team and I. And so that's been really nice. Here's what I can't do. I can't manufacture time, right? And so time is the thing that you should all be working for. Why do you want to be successful? You want to be successful. You want to have a boss, not because you don't want to report to someone, not because you don't, because you want to do whatever you want to do whenever you want. Kid gets sick. You want to be able to move an interview and do things because that's your prerogative. You know, you don't feel like going to work that day. Maybe you want to stay at home. Maybe you want to do something special with your significant other. There's a billion things, but time is a thing that the moment we're born, we start losing, right? We can never get it back. Okay. Not yet maybe some magic quantum time machine in the future, but we can never get it back and we can't make more of it. And so why you should be an entrepreneur and what I really noticed wasn't my childhood that developed my entrepreneurship. It was missing my childhood because when you're a kid, you're not paying the bills. You do have freedom. You can ride your bike around the road. You can, and that's where you see all the creativity, all the new ideas, all the new stuff. So we need to leave time within which we can create. And so for me, that's at the crux of what it's all about. And so it's not a story where, you know, and, and by the way, I don't believe 90% of these stories. Okay. My dad also bought me a computer. I took apart when I was, you know, 10 or 11 or whatever, or four, you know, I see these bios. He's been programming computers since he was seven. It's like, okay, sure. You have, you know, and, and if you were, it wasn't anything relevant anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have too much in entrepreneurship. I always joke around that, you know, Fast Company and Entrepreneur Magazine, these are like romance novels for startup nerds, right? Because it's like, the, you know, the, none of, hardly any of those stories are 100% true. Um, but, you know, this is, a, this is an important thing. I mean, when you think of it, you know, I love the name of your podcast, right? And I think of like, where's my Zen place? My Zen place is I, after this, just rearranged my entire evening schedule because I could. Mm-hmm. That sounds so dumb, so simple, but I can do it without you know, uh, betraying any of those friends and family without not completing any of those obligations because I can say, okay, this is great. I'm going to move and shift things. Time is the thing everybody should be trying to get more of. It's not about money. It's about time and time and, and well, maybe time and slash freedom to mm-hmm. do what you want within that time. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, 
I'm super excited about the future. I think this is the greatest time to be alive uh, in history. You know, Jeremiah, we live in a world where when I was young, you know, you asked about my childhood, I used to have to cut UPC codes out of cereal boxes and put them in an envelope and lick them and lick a stamp and send it to a physical place called a post office. Oh, right? <laughs> and I rode my, I rode my bike from, from my old address, which was 1014 North 13th Street, to the post office, which was on General Bruce Drive. And that was on thirds. It was past General Bruce. And so I rode, uh, you know, roughly 10 blocks or walked 10 blocks there and 10 blocks back. And, uh, and I'd mail it off. And I'd do that over and over and over. And over the course of an entire summer or half of a year, I'd receive like one decoder ring and one piece of electronic or whatever. And I'd start building stuff, right? Kids today, you know, you're, you're 16, 17, 18, you're already getting credit card offers, right? Which you should be responsible with. But like you can get a credit card, go to Amazon, set up S3, AWS, order a computer from the Apple store, have them deliver it in two hours and be coding and technically have like your startups running. It's like just that water. That's amazing. Everybody listening to this should, like if they're not doing a startup, like what's your problem? Go get off your ass. Like mm-hmm. it's an incredible time to be able to start a company. And think of all the companies that are around now just to start companies. There was no clerky when I started. You're filing paperwork manually. You're faxing stuff, right? Which nobody even thinks about today. Um, so it's an incredible time to be alive in the world. So, so would you say like when it comes to your entrepreneurial drive, you said that you got into a bad car accident, right? When you were in, in the band and um, kind of you, you, that pivoted you from, you know, building this band, like being a musician to kind of being more of the managerial role. Like did that kind of kickstart your entrepreneurial drive there or were did you always have it before? So, no, that, that didn't start. I, I think my entrepreneurial drive got started pretty late in, in life. I'd worked at startups, but I wasn't really a founder. I didn't really have that big a role in them. You know, one of them, they were like, oh, we're going to call him founder too because he's a CTO, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like, but I, mean, I wasn't I, I wasn't a founder, right? That's that's honesty. And those, those experiences, which failed, you know, the first startup I joined failed pretty um, epically. Uh, still friends with all those guys. I literally just had drinks with one of the engineers from that company. That was 2000. Uh, that was 2000. So that's 21 years ago. Just had drinks with that guy. Uh, so, you know, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty great uh, stories came out of that career. But it was when I was going from startups to large companies. I would mm-hmm. go to a startup and I would see how fast they could move, how they could execute, do this. And then I would see them make mistakes. I would see them not have far enough um, forward-looking plans, right? It was about minutes, hours, days, right? Uh, and then I would look at corporations, and they wouldn't be doing the innovation, although some corporations are very innovative. That's, it's wrong to just be like all startups are, you know, fly-by-night or break things fast, and all corporations can't do anything fast, right? Like, these, this is not true. Everything's different. But on the corporate side, they did move slower, more methodically, they had a little bit of a myopic vision if they were publicly traded, but they had a nice long-term plan or they had a vision. They at least had the concept of we need to think more than a week or two ahead, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do is bring those things together. And so in 2009, in 2006, I founded a thing uh, with Raven Zachary, who was the main guy, and Chris Messina and a bunch of other people called iPhone Dev Camp. You got 400, uh, Dom Segola, um, Camp remember everybody else right now I apologize everybody but 
we got 400 iPhone developers together at Adobe's offices the week after the iPhone was released and hacked apps and did stuff and it was great. And everybody there started an iPhone company, right? And there were all the book companies were there signing people to write books, all the people, all of this stuff was happening. Uh, I sat back and I was like, you know, I've always jumped in right at the right time. Everybody tells you first to market, first all this, all complete bullshit. So with Chaotic Moon, we started three years after everybody jumped in the market because it's like Alan Kay used to say, pioneers get arrows in the back, right? And so we waited and it ended up being a huge advantage. So then what I started doing was a rolling technique of as I'm at a startup and I get ideas for other startups, I write them down. I have a whole system where I follow them digitally, maybe notes in a notepad I keep. And those are all my startup ideas. And I mark them with little tabs on what the next idea is. Mm-hmm. And so like, I already know what my next three companies would be right now. I've already bought domains for one of them 10 years ago, right? I'm already, like, so that, that long-term planning, that really helps to get you solidified. But it's not a situation of, oh, the accident inspired me for this or that. It's just a situation of, I got frustrated seeing the startups not willing to take the wisdom of the, the enterprise, if you will. And the enterprise is thinking that the startups had no wisdom. And I thought, oh, that's not true. There's good in both of those. And I could be the type of person that could put together a team that could recognize both of those. And honestly, all my teams are cross-functional. They're very much also um, have that enterprise experience. So we have people on here, my, my chief science officer, uh, Cesar Rodriguez Rosario is a uh, academic. Steve Gibson is a, a you know a aerospace engineer, but he's a, you know he's doing strategy for me, but he worked at Airbus, he worked at the European Space Agency. You know, Cesar is an academic at Harvard, Max Planck, all that. Justin Ewens has been at big companies, he's my CTO and at startups. And of course, he's one of my co-founders and my other co-founder, David, uh, you know, he, David Cardona is freaking amazing, right? He's a lawyer slash CEO slash whatever, but they've all worked at big companies and small companies and individual, they have a breadth of experience. I think that's very valuable. There's no right or wrong in either the corporate side or the startup side. There's value in both of them. And I think successful companies want to take all of that value uh, that they can and, and embed it in what they're trying to build. So I guess really like when it comes to startups, like what do you think most founders struggle with when they're, you know, they're just starting off fresh, they haven't built a startup before, just getting into it. Um, what advice would you have if you were to start a startup from ground zero? So I have a lot of advice for that. So, so let's see, um, first, do the research ahead of time and do it while you have a job. Uh, one of the things I see as an investor is people want to come to you and they want you to fund their dream, but what they really want you to fund is their livelihood, right? So I hear people pitch me all the time. I want you to fund it. This is my dream. It's like, right. But out of this million dollars, 700,000 of it goes to salaries. So it's like I'm funding you, right? And, and they're like, People have this great dream of like, I'm frustrated at my job. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go do a startup. It's like, then stay at the job, you know, make sure your startup isn't in any kind of legal conflict and work nights and weekends like everybody else that's successful because that's what it takes. Um, I find that often people start too fast. A, a joke I like to tell to, to entrepreneurs in, in a, one of the classes I teach is I look at you and I say, uh, Jeremiah was a project manager at Facebook last week. And, you know, you got this awesome girl, let's call her, you know, Susan. 
And Susan was an amazing engineer at Google, but Susan never got promoted to be a manager at Google, right? And that's not a glass ceiling place. And you didn't really manage that much, but now you just gave me a card that says CEO and she gave me a card that says CTO. What I want to know is in the last week, did you like meet aliens with secret business knowledge or maybe you got hit by a CEO meteorite? Like it's so easy to put it on your card. And it brings me back, you know, you ask about that transition to management earlier. You said, you know, did, did the accident take me from out of the band and like moving more into like trying to organize and manage the structure? So, so I'll comment on that. I'll say, uh, no, it did not. Um, that happened when I was at IBM uh, assigned to Tivoli's uh, business unit in 1998. In 1998, I was promoted. Right huh? Like yeah, well, it's a, it's a little bit. Yeah, I, le I left Apple in 97 to go to IBM. So I'd already been there and had a couple jobs. I started there as a principal engineer. And then on the, uh, uh, on, on the uh, around, I would say it was the beginning of 20, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 1998. Uh, um, man, I've been doing this too long, <laughs> a lot of years. Uh, Tom Bishop took me to Margarita's uh, 360 in Austin. He said, uh, I got a question I want you to work on this weekend. Oh, okay. So sure, tell me what it is. Well, we'll get to it. You know, I, I have quite a few margaritas and we're talking. He says, look, take some time off. I want you to answer this question before you accept the promotion. All right, well, what's the, what's the question, right? He says, the question is, do you wanna be a manager or do you wanna do what managers do? Because those are two very different things. And that was the moment I moved into management and started figuring it out. Because think about it, you want that CEO, that CTO on your card uh, you want to be a manager. You want to tell people, oh, well, I'm a manager. I'm a senior manager. I'm a director. But that's a title. That's not a job. And the job is you may have employees at a large company that commit suicide or get a divorce or have an affair or get, if there's a million things, they get cancer, they get, your job as a manager isn't to direct people, which is what managers think. Your job is to support people. So your job is to be there for all the stuff to run interference on anything that could be come between them and doing the job that you're trying to pay them for. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to keep those things separated, right? And it's super important. And that question, like, it bugged me out all weekend. It was really hard to answer. It was, it was bugging horrible. Uh, but we got there and I was, I was super happy, super, super happy that I did. Um, and I tell people that the same thing about entrepreneurship. You know, do you want to be an entrepreneur and say you're an entrepreneur or you want to do what entrepreneurs do? Because, mm -hmm. um, that means no sleep, pissing off your significant other, probably not making money, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, that's not for everybody. I think we have this culture right now in the startup world that's just too many dreams. Um, we've, we've romanticized startups so much that people are like, oh, I'm gonna go and do this and two rounds later in 16 months, I'm worth a billion dollars, I'm a unicorn or whatever. Like unicorn does not mean shit, people, right? It, it's such the dumbest term I've ever heard in my life. Apple, First quarter this year made $111 billion. 46 of it is profit. That is mind-blowing insane. Your company, somebody thinks your company is worth a billion dollars, not impressed. Got a billion dollars in revenue, very impressed. Mm -hmm. This whole unicorn thing, people are like, oh, they're a unicorn and this, that. And, and, and as entrepreneurs, they don't understand exits, right? 
like you can be in a situation where you exit a company. I just advised somebody on this literally on Monday. Yesterday, they're exiting a company. This is a billion dollar plus transaction. They were a founder in one of two companies that emerged and built this into that. Their paycheck after 13 years of their life, they're getting about 650 grand. And I'll tell you, they're pretty pissed about it. Yeah, well, let's go forget that. And, and I'll tell you, they were the ones who put themselves in that situation. Mm -hmm. And they got really mad when I said that. But it's like, that's the thing. Look, for all the new entrepreneurs out there, you will make more money building and selling a company early than you will trying to build a unicorn or whatever, hands down, every time. Why? Number one, your company's worth less, it's easier to buy. Number two, company doesn't have that many investors at that point, it's easier to buy. Number three, you don't have that many investors, uh, employees, it's easy to integrate, it's easy to buy. Like smaller companies faster that you sell in the kind of year to three year range, you'd be shocked. And people are always like, yeah, but I want to, oh, you want to be a billionaire? No, you don't. You want to have $100 million? You don't know what you're talking about. You're young and stupid, right? <clears throat> I can show you how to build a company, sell that company in 24 months. And if you do everything right, it all works out. And that doesn't mean it always does, but mm -hmm. it's a very likely chance that you can sell that company in the, call it 40 to, to 80 million range, maybe 100 million on the high end. And guess what? That early in the company, you still own it all. So you make the majority of the money, right? So that's a better deal. I advise everybody to do that as their first startup. Find something, test your chops. Don't take your best idea. Take an idea that's solid. You know who the acquirers could be. You can build it up. You can drive it to there and sell one and then see how that worked for you. Because mm -hmm. it might not have worked good. You know, I've had companies before where I gave employees option grants, meaning they own the stock, only to have the acquirer say, we're going to have to go back and undo that. We're going to convert you in a stock deal. And now they're back on a vesting plan. So they don't see the cash for another two, three years. Like that happens all the time, right? So everything you think, this is how it's going to work. Cause that's what I read in these magazines, saw it on TechCrunch or whatever. It's not how any of it's going to work. It's going to work the way the people that are driving it, your customers driving it, the acquirers driving it, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I think something that really strikes me and fascinating, but you really is like, you're just very knowledgeable in lots of different spaces and I think that you're just willing to step into new environments, try new things. Um, and I think that's probably why you've had a lot of success in multiple areas. Well, you, you want to you say that, and that's very kind, Jeremiah, but the reality is maybe I've just got an awesome trick, which is every company I've founded is exactly the same. They just <laughs> look different to all of you, yeah. right? Think about it. They're all software, right? They're all in emerging markets. You know, you, get, you start going down the, the list. And there's, a, there's a formula. There's a method to the madness. I have one marketable skill. I can build amazing software teams. I have, thankfully, uh, incredible co-founders. Justin Ewens could build better software teams than anybody on the planet. He's freaking amazing. I feel lucky to be able to work with him. You know? and, and, and I can find those people and support them so they can do their job. And I can run that interference we talked about so that nothing gets in the way of those developers. I mean, I do whatever I can for the team. You know, buying lunches, bringing them water, checking in. I try to do a one-on-one, -on -one, hallway one-on-one. So I try to do it with every employee at least every month. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't always work out, but people appreciate that. They appreciate you listening to them. They appreciate you appreciating them. <clears throat> the secret, though, is not that I have all this amazing knowledge. I'm some super genius. It's that I have the right experience 
combined with the right knowledge, combined with kind of an uncanny knack for timing, right? Um, like I thought I was getting into quantum at the right point a year and a half in. I thought I was way too early. Now I'm like, maybe I'm at the right point again. You know, we'll have to see. Uh, but it's really, you know, these companies are all software companies. So this another myth I, I really wish we'd get rid of. Um, so your experience, Jeremiah, is in writing software for toasters. And so I can't hire you to write software for anything else because mm -hmm. you're the toaster software guy. It's like, no, software is software. Half these engineers are pulling everything off GitHub anyway, right? They're using open source doing stuff. I want a good engineer. I don't care what you wrote it for. Do you write good code? Do you have good process? Yeah. And so, you know, there's really a, a, an interesting opportunity as we move forward. Uh, I'm curious what happens to entrepreneurship when computers start writing the code. When you just get an idea and you give it to a computer and then it says, oh, you're going to need these open source components and this AWS stuff and whatever, whatever, right? Like that's, that's going to happen eventually. You know, like your kids won't go through all the trouble you did to start a company. It'll just be like what I told you earlier in my example, where I have to cut out UPC codes and walk in the hundred degree heat 10 blocks. And, you know, you go online on your iPhone and everything appears, right? Yeah. I mean, think about what it'll be like in another 30 years. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, so, so I guess that's another question I wanted to ask you with more so the quantum computing space, but like, I guess, what is quantum computing? That's the first part and like, how do you think that'll affect the future? So, um, good question. Obviously, I'll tell everybody to pick up a copy of quantum computing <laughs> for babies, but quantum computing, think of it this way. And I'll use something big here because I usually use a coin, but somebody told me in one of the interviews earlier they couldn't really see the coin. So I use this awesome Rick and Morty coaster my wife got me. <laughs> so imagine this is a coin. On this side with Rick, that's heads. And this side with the print is tails. So I put that coin in my hand. And in that position, heads up, it's a one. Tails up, it's a zero. And in that plane, it can only be one of those two things. It's how your phone works, supercomputers, everything. Okay? Mm -hmm. Little bits, little gates, right? If I take that same coin, I flip it in the air like that, right? When it's spinning, Jeremiah, is that a one or a zero right there at the top of that spin? And the thing is, we don't know until we stop it and we measure it. And so when you look at it, instead of using little electrical gates, right, for classical bits, we take something like an electron, use quantum spin, and we you, think of it like a soccer ball, okay, like football, actual football. And if it's pointing straight up, it's a one. If it's pointing straight down, it's a zero. But since it's 360 degree sphere, it could be pointing over here or down here or over here. Those are all probabilities of a one or a zero. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it gets really complicated, but what that allows us to do are calculations that are extremely computationally, uh, you know, uh, computationally intense. So things like DQP and NP and NP plus hard and all, sure. But what I like to say is, Think of where you have problems where the evaluation time soars when you just add a few variables. Traveling salesperson is one. Michelle Simmons used it. Um, a bunch of people have used it. It's a, it's, a, it's a fine example, even though there's people that will argue about you with everything. But, you know, you and I want to go to 14 cities. Uh, you know, in Michelle's example, she says, okay, you want to go to 14 cities. Uh, we do that on a laptop. It takes 1,800 seconds. We want to go to 22 cities. Same laptop takes 2,000 years, right, to process it. So there's oh, problems yes. like that. So there's problems like that in material science and, 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 and chemistry and, and aerospace and going to Mars. And so we have all these problems where society can be greatly advanced. And the first company we did was for fun and profit. There's no doubt. It was models and models. It was amazing. The second company, Honest Dollar, was to kind of become that hero entrepreneur 
kind of try to help people change their lives. The average American has a $400 expense uh, and they're insolvent, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to give people better ways to use and manage and, and, and keep their money. And then now, and we found out that, you know, if that doesn't really work that way, you know, uh, there's a lot of things. And then now this is, this company is more of a catalyst, right? So we won't win a Nobel prize for curing some cancer or something. Somebody using the software and quantum might, we won't go to Mars, but somebody might design a new ship or new materials or whatever, and they might. So that's kind of where we're at. So unlike the first few companies, this is, Hopefully, I'd like it to be the last company I ever do, and I'd like to grow it into an Apple or an Intel or an IBM or whatever. Um, and I won't live to see that day, but I'd like to get it as far as I can over the next, call it, 20, 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, you know, where I'm at. And, and quantum computing, uh, as we said, is such a shift away from von Neumann architectures and all the traditional classical computing. It's not going to replace it, but it's such a shift from there that it presents a... 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 year plan of like, who knows what's going to happen, right? Like I said earlier, uh, you know, we don't, we're not thinking like that uh, example from 1963, 64. We're not, we're not thinking about the microprocessor and all these other things. We're still just like, ooh, the quantum thing, here's how it's applied to all the stuff we do today. Here's how you do a quantum Monte Carlo. Here's how you do a digital 20 with a molecular structure. Here's this, right? But we're still not even thinking of like, Here's a thing nobody's ever even thought of because we won't until the technology gets advanced. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be like you know in the early '60s when AR first started coming out, right? You think about augmented reality. You know, you have this big box that you you would turn, it would it would show you a square. <laughs> but you know, like that's kind of the we're in this very primitive, very nascent, as everybody in the industry likes to say, state. But I guess, I guess in the space really with AR, VR, AI, quantum computing. Um, which technology do you think will have the biggest effect on, on the future and, and the way that humans live? Uh, so I'm going to sum it up, and it's going to upset a bunch of your listeners, and I'm going to just say it. They're wrong. Um, so AR and VR are pretty worthless. Uh, I worked on a, on a project in 1993 with AR VR at Apple, and there was an optometrist, a really smart man, and he, at the end of it, to get paid, he took his pencil and he said, if you just hold it out to here and just bring it in, just focus on that tip, focus on that tip. Yeah, it's not how your eyes work, right? Like putting a screen that close to your eyes is stupid. So I've been investing in, you know, products that are corrective eye surgeries and things like that instead of investing in VR and AR. Um, I hosted the VR and the AR sessions at MIT Stanford's V-Labs, and I'm one of the co-founders of the augmented reality event, which is still the biggest event. And Ari and them will hate, this is why I don't, go anymore because everybody hates when I tell them this. But the reality is how many times just in the last five years have you heard, this is where VR takes off. Mm. This is where, and what about Pokemon Go? Anybody still play that? It was in the news every day for like two weeks, right? Yeah, it's not an interface. It's a horrible user interface. Christoph Koch says it best in the singularity of the film. He says, when you want that, you want Terminator vision. When you're willing to pull your eyeball out and put a new eyeball in, uh, then, you've, then you'll get it. We can interface with the optical nerves, right? He, he's like, and I'd be the first to sign up. <laughs> it's just funny. But it's like, that, it's, you know, the, the way we're doing it now, that's, that's not how it's going to work. Um, and there's all kinds of things. Will AR change? Will AR become something that's more like a neural link where you have something that's actually putting input into your brain and giving you a fake reality, right? I think that kind of virtual reality, where you're actually manipulating the brain to 
to, to enchant it and create these visions of that, these hallucinations, if you will, that is kind of cool. But what we're doing now with like putting a monitor on your face, you know, it's, it's, it's worthless. I mean, how many videos do you see of people totally kicking ass at games online uh, versus how many people you see tripping over and busting the TV off the wall or breaking the coffee table or whatever, right? It's just a horrible interface. It is a horrible interface. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 you know, so now that I'll get off the AR, VR, and go back to your question. So AI, quantum, AR, VR, whatever, right? There's a bunch of other technologies, neuromorphic, other things. What do I think will be most impactful in the future? Um, it'll be a combination of quantum and AI. I don't think you can actually do real AI without quantum capabilities. So I think once quantum comes in, AI gets a huge boost. And that's where, where the combination of them are the thing that, that affects the world the most. In the meantime, though, quantum, when it becomes real, will affect the global economy and the balance of power dramatically. Uh, it will affect you know, everything from financial trades to uh, you know, troop movements to war game calculations to all kinds of things. So um, it'll have a definitely big impact. But the real impact, the one I hope really advances society, it'll definitely be a combination of, of some kind of quantum and machine learning or AI. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess we're like, how far off are we from really having quantum computers in the hands of every single person? That's a million dollar question. Um, you can find people who think it's here today. You can find people who think it'll never be here. And you can find people who think it's 20 years out. People think it's due. Um, I don't care. I, I, I don't. Mm. I started this company on a mission to try to make the world a better place, right? open source project idea, didn't get the support, said, I'll just make it a company, did all this. And, and so for me, I, I'm planning on working here for 20, 30 years. I don't, I don't care when it arrives. When it arrives, I'll have the best tools, the best knowledge, biggest community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm kind of waiting for, for that, right? And we, as a company, we've got revenue traction already. It's not anything you know stupendous uh, to, to where you're like, okay, well, we don't need funding. We're making so much money. But like we've proven in a very nascent market, we have a, what appears to be a, not a niche product, but kind of the opposite, kind of a spanning layer across all of quantum, and that we can transact on that, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess, like, what does StrangeWorks offer the quantum computing space? So that's excellent. Um, we offer uh, an awesome thing called quantumcomputing.com. Would you, would you like to... Uh, would you like me to, to show it to your audience? Uh, absolutely. All right, hang on. If you have screen sharing enabled. There you go, can you see that okay? Mm-hmm. So we make a couple different things. We make we have a quantum syndicate, which is all of our partners. We have quantumcomputing.com, our StrangeWorks QC, which is this, this thing I'm gonna show you. And then we have an enterprise version of this product, which does you know a, a million more things. So this is free right now today. Everybody can go use it, quantumcomputing.com. Click on the library. Here are pre-defined uh, code examples: how to do constrained scheduling, your Schwarz algorithm, transverse Ising model with BQE. Doesn't matter. And so you can go pick those out when you log into the product. Again, it's totally free, so not pitching my wares on your show. I, I'm not a fan of doing that. Um, this is the interface you get in. Uh, all of Stack Overflow is searchable as a developer reference if you use that or you want that. Support a few languages right now. There's news and articles, so it's useful to anybody, even if they're just an enthusiast, to keep track of what's going on. Uh, and then 
uh, it's the most powerful ecosystem you know out there. IBM recently put all of their uh, IBM quantum computers, simulators, and resources on quantumcomputing.com as well. So you can access all of IBM, AWS, and Bracket from through this interface from here. Um, but you can do something super cool. So I'm a, I tell you, there's a bunch of projects, and they're really cool. You can do things like, you know, Grover's uh, search algorithm. You can go in here. You can code it up. We're here in this example. We're targeting a simulator, and we're also targeting a dedicated IBM machine. And if we hit the run code, uh, then we'll run it on our horizontally scalable microservices, which are where the simulators are. And then we'll also run it on IBM's infrastructure, IBM Q. So you pull it back and, you know, the frameworks, uh, KizKit, the provider is Strangeworks, the backend is a Chasm simulator. And you can see that this is the circuit gate we've built. There's four qubits, one classical bit, what we've done here operations-wise. Oh, it's 46, <laughs> right? It's, it's pretty cool. And then... Mm. You get out here and we're queued right now. So I'll show you a result I did uh, about this morning, about seven hours ago, is you get a result back from, from the IBM machine. And you notice that the result back, you see the provider's IBM Q, the backend's IBM Q Montreal. It's a much different set of numbers there. A lot more information histogram. And then of course we printed out this statement. Um, so this uses fair queue system. So you do have to queue and depending on how busy the machine is, but usually it only takes a few minutes it comes back. Now what's really cool you want to, if you want to know what I think is, is the coolest, is we have a new thing, and I'm going to go to the dashboard, called runtime. So we just announced this last week on Thursday, I think, or Wednesday. Um, Kiskit runtimes uh, will speed up computations by about 120 times. And so what that is, is that instead of doing that code I just showed you, you could do something like this uh, variational quantum uh, eigen solver. Uh, to find the minimal uh, eigenvalue. And here's this. Now, what you can do is instead of all that code you had, we can target a machine. This is the one we're targeting, a simulator, or this one in Nairobi, or the one named Nairobi. It's not in Nairobi, obviously. Um, we can put change the name of this, and then we can change all the input parameters, right? These are the ones that are required. These are the output values you can get. So you can actually run this without knowing the code. You can change things, put it in here, run it, and get a result back from that machine on this problem. So where we're trying to take it is making it lower the barriers of entry cost-wise, lower the barriers of entry programmatically, lower the barriers of entry across the board so that everybody gets to take advantage of being a part of this kind of quantum revolution. So once again, we're going to be queued up on this machine. I can tell you that there are several tens of thousands of jobs that have been done. And so now you see it's done, right? So we've got the output result. We can go to the console log, no errors, nothing like there. There's the code run. We can see when it was created, what it was completed, where it went. And then we have the result here. So this is what that looks like, okay? And here's our BQE run stats, right? Eigenvalue, uh, negative one, time it ran, all of this stuff. Here's the eigenvalue, the graph on optimization to target the VQE, right? And then, you know, histogram again, uh, the iteration, uh, time distributions, et cetera, et cetera, all the stuff you need. And this is pretty neat, pretty advanced stuff that we're trying to make simple. If you take it to a quantum physicist, they'll look at that and be like, that's like you're just started a class in quantum, right? Like there's no doubt that is not represent the complexity of this space. But 
it represents taking that complexity and boiling it down to the simplest stuff, just like the book, right? The book to give you an idea of how boiled down it is, right? Yeah. It's a ball. It could be red or blue, right? Like it's pretty simple. I'd like to do that to as much of quantum as possible. I'd like to see quantum end up as part of the background, the fabric, the compute fabric that we use. And you never even know you're using quantum. You just, some, something sees what you're doing, picks out where the computational complexity is, says, this goes to classical, got an answer back, now to quantum, now back to classical, and here you go, Jeremiah, here's the result that you're looking for, right? That, to me, that would be the ultimate if you didn't even, even think about it. So, I mean, that's kind of where my, where my head is at on all of that. Yeah, you know, I think that, that just blows my mind, really, because I think what I've noticed with like quantum and like AI is uh, there's not many people that understand this stuff. Like when you really look at like the average person in North America, I don't think most people understand. Quantum. Yeah, the, av the average person on my team probably doesn't understand it. I mean, it's very, I, you know, Richard Feynman famously said that if you think you know quantum mechanics, then you don't know quantum mechanics. So it's like, I don't know that anybody has a leg to stand on and like, I'm the world's leading expert. We, we don't know. We have two physicists that work here that inform our development process. We're partnered with obviously dozens of, you know, corporations and universities and everybody. So we're just, you know, software guys in a quantum world, just trying to do our, do our bit to help make this a reality because I think it's important to the human condition. I think it's important to uh, building a, a better planet, uh, fixing the climate, uh, addressing material sciences, disease cures, drug discoveries, you know, better optimization for shipping routes, or manufacturing, or digital twinning, so that we don't waste as much resources. There's a, a million ways in which this could be uh, a, a nice impact, a nice positive impact on our future. Yeah, well, well I think it's it's amazing because I, I guess to my understanding what Stranger says is it lets the average um, kind of developer have access on a quantum machine and write code and, and they can yeah. use quantum tools. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean that's, that's the idea. But the, the idea is that there's no average person, right? There's just people who have the knowledge and maybe they're trying to share it. People don't get it and people don't. Think of Carl Sagan, right? Think of, um, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Think of these physicists that have become kind of personalities and they like explain these crazily complicated concepts so easy in a way that inspires kids, inspires new people to get in that stuff. We'd like to be inspirational like that. We'd like to do that. We don't want to be TV personalities. We don't want to, we're software guys, right? We want to stay down our little software world. Somebody recently compared us, uh, not recent, I guess I keep saying recent, but it was probably a year and a half ago, compared us to the train man in the matrix, right? We're not Neo, we're not the Merovingian, we're not Agent Smith, but you know, when he's down there in the train, he goes, uh, you don't get it. Like we built this place. Like that's us in our little software prison at the bottom of, of quantum. <laughs> but we're, we're very excited to be doing what we're doing. And we're super, super um, excited about the future. I mean, we have, we have big plans and we think, um, you know, is it going to be big in uh, next year? Nope. Three years? Probably not. It'll probably be better. Uh, but this is a long-term plan. I mean, if you're thinking about getting into quantum, this is something you should look at as a five, 10, 15, 20 year kind of, kind of journey. Because uh, I think that we're close. Uh, and I think you'll start seeing a lot more quantum in the next 24 months. But I think you're still 2027 to 2029, 
is the time frame I'm seeing, you know, more general purpose things. And Google did come out recently and say 2029 is when we think we're going to have our computer, right? So, you know, um, that made me feel great because I said somewhere 27 to 29. So I was like, see, I'm validated. Um, but I think that was random. <laughs> so, and, and I'm sure it's Google, right? So they could kill that project before they get there or, or the date could slip dramatically. So, you know, who knows? Uh, but I think, you know, it, now is the time to get into quantum. If you, if you want to get into quantum, now is your time to do it because it is going to be the absolute best opportunity to get into a ground, uh, you know, floor opportunity where there's a lot of open field. There's a lot of blue ocean. I don't think we have 10% of the quantum tech and tools and things we need to do all the things we say quantum will do. So I think there's a phenomenal opportunity for people here. Well, yeah, really, I no, this just, this just blows my mind. Like, I, there's a lot alert. Like, even seeing what you showed me with quantumcomputing.com, like, there's a lot of. I feel like well, you're gonna go sign up tonight, right? Because I can tell yeah. you signed up. I'll be, I'll be watching. Yeah, well, it just, it just kind of, it doesn't scare me about the future, but it just makes me think that there's so much to learn out there, and it, it's sometimes oh, yeah. overwhelming. But um, there's all these resources available to us, right? And Thanks. It's incredible. I mean, think about it. You can go think about an, you're an entrepreneur and you want to build a quantum algorithm. You can go on quantumcomputing.com right now, find dozens of examples. You can build your own, you can deploy it to real quantum computing. If you do all that for free right now, like all you need is access to the internet and a, and a laptop or a larger iPad, because I'm not wasting the time to make everything CSS where you can do mobile quantum. Like, you know, mm -hmm. sorry, you can sit at your computer. <laughs> Maybe, maybe soon, maybe we'll build an app, I don't know. Now, now I'm thinking, wow, maybe we should build an app. But the point is, is that this is a really, really great opportunity, I think, for, for everybody. And such an amazing space, such an amazing opportunity uh, to get into a new space and just fucking phenomenal. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is the next big thing or one of the next big things in computer science that changes it so much that it's like, I, I don't know, I think, People are foolish for not being interested in it and more involved in it. Um, think about positronic nets and Star Wars and all this stuff, you know, Star Trek and all the things you see with, with you know, uh, space travel, all this stuff. It's, all of these things, we, we need computation to figure these out, right? We need science, we need computer science and other sciences working together to figure out how these things work. What's the nature of the universe? What are all these things? And I don't know. I just think that's an amazing thing that everybody should be excited about, uh, excited about checking into. Well, yeah, really, I just have a few more questions for you, but I just, uh, sure, just go ahead. building off what you last said is, why do you think um, a lot of people in the world, let's say in North American society, aren't interested in things like quantum computing or these newer fields? Like, what do you think holds them back? It's not, it's not there. I mean, have you seen quantum Africa or, uh, you know, any of the efforts in Europe for the new um, quantum project uh, in Amsterdam? Like there's, there's people all over the world that are onto this. And by the way, it's not new. 1927 uh, or eight, I think it was a Solvoy conference where all of this Irving and Schrodinger and everybody came up with this whole concept. We've been looking at it. You're talking about a, a timeline of, you know, <laughs> good Lord. We're going to be coming up on a hundred years since the concepts were done. So this isn't something that like just came up in the last five years, right? This is based on an immense amount of work in, in physics and computer science uh, mm -hmm. for a very long time. I mean, IBM didn't start yesterday. They've been doing it for years and years and years, years and years. 
uh, they have notes from like the 70s on like quantum computers one day, you know? So it's an it's exciting time. I think the reason people are, are excited is because it's a new opportunity. It's a new, I think it's clearly a new phase in the way we do compute. And I think we're now in a society where every one of us has a phone in our pocket, every one of us has an iPad or laptop or whatever. Like computers used to be things nerds has, now you have to have one to function in society. So I think that's part of, like everybody realizes, this is now always gonna be a part of what we do, mm -hmm. right? And so I think there's a lot more interest. So, so I guess, uh, there's not two more questions for you, but could you talk a little, little about working at Apple? I know you said that you worked there right before Steve Jobs. Yeah, I mean, the, the R&D group I joined when I was at Apple, they had worked on the set-top box and fireware, all these really cool things. And they had all worked very closely with them for years. Um, so yeah, I did. Um, but I think, you know, there's so many people I've met, right? Like Bob Metcalf that invented Ethernet is a great friend. He, he knew Steve intimately well. Um, uh, Charles Stonehill. I've been blessed with like meeting really great, amazing people. Mm. I, I don't think that helps you as an entrepreneur. I don't think it helps you as a tech person. It might be inspirational to meet these heroes, maybe stuff, but at the end of the day, there's only one person that will drive your success in your startup, and that's you. It's not, you're not going to meet, you know, a Steve Jobs like character and uh, they think you're great, like in a movie and they fund you or they buy you and you work it out. Like, like these are all fantasies, right? Like you're going to have to do a lot of hard work to get your company off the ground. I'm, I'm inspired by things more than people. So is the iPhone like, whoa, what a cool thing. I mean, think about it. Nokia mm -hmm. already had apps and app stores. We already had capacitive screens. We already had everything. It was put together in a really cool way and it took over a market, right? Do you remember when the iPhone came out and there were people, the guys at BlackBerry were like, what's Apple going to do? Build a phone? Like, we'll murder them. It's like, where are they now, right? Gone. They're like a cryptography company or something. So, you know, I find that stuff, but I'm inspired by, I, I like the actual things. Not that the people can't be in, in, inspirational, but, you know, at, at this point, especially in my career, am I looking for inspiration? Always, always looking for mentors, always, you can always learn. Every new company I get, I find two or three new people to advise me on that company that know more than I do, because there's a lot of people that know more than I do. But the people don't inspire me as much as uh, the things, the, the actual work product. I'm very, very into the work product, the design of it, the architecture and stuff. Those are the things I get, I get wrapped, you know, my head wrapped around the axle, so to speak. Mm. Uh, but look, if, if I was going to say that there was somebody who was, um, you know, really inspirational or influential, uh, there's a lot of people. Um, Steve would be on that list, but Tom Bishop from Tivoli and BMC would be on that list. The guy that asked me if I wanted to be a manager, whatever. It's incredibly still a friend of this day, incredible inspiration. Uh, Bob Metcalf, 100%. You cannot stay in a room with five minutes for Bob Metcalf and not be like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty, I got to go get off my ass and do some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's, I mean, I could think, I could name a hundred. <coughs> I mean, you know, from Tesla to Feynman to whatever. I mean, I could name plenty, but it just depends on, uh, you know, on a, on a number of things. Yeah, but, but I, I like the way you put that where like you're inspired by things and building rather than people and being chosen. <laughs> everything you do, like you're, you're constantly building, improving. And um, 
and yeah, it's just really fascinating. But I guess wh- where can people check you out, learn about strange works, learn about quantum? Um, where can people find you on social yeah. media? Obviously, you know, we're, I'm at Worley everywhere. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of it. Uh, and it's at Strangeworks everywhere. So pretty easy to find. So whatever your tool of choice is, you want to go check us, post out on LinkedIn. You want to go check out the website at strangeworks.com or quantumcomputing.com. The, you know, it's very easy to find. And I guess with that, Worley, I just want to thank you for coming on the Zenfluence podcast. Um, this one was just really, it was a special one, just talking about quantum, just, just uh, learning about you and all the things you do. I think it's inspirational just to people out there to show them that they can do multiple things. They can build things and there's no, and anyone can do it. I, I love that. Like how you put it, we have the technologies where anyone can do this. You just have to take action. But um, I guess this is the last question I want to ask you, but if you had to say a message to the whole world at one, one time, like they would be listening to you, it's on a billboard somewhere. What would your message be? dying that would be my message no i uh, i i held i held that cough the entire time you're talking because i didn't want you to have to start over saying all of that again so i was like oh. um so so if i had a message that i could distribute to the entire planet it, it would be a, a message of love i mean there's so much opportunity for everyone uh, we let things like greed and jealousy and all these things get in the way of that. And it would, for me, it'd just be really a message of love and a message of inspiration. You can do anything you set your mind to. Now, it might be difficult depending on your status in life and how far you have to go. There's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of variables, but like, there's no doubt you can do it. Um, you know, one of my best inspirational stories is probably Sue Black, uh, you know, was in an abusive relationship had three kids, snuck out in the middle of the night with a one time, went through horrors you can't even imagine. And she was knighted by the queen a few years ago uh, and saved Bletchley Park, which is where Alan Turing did all of his famous work uh, in the UK and a million other things. And so, you know, I may not be the right person to say, hey, you can overcome any obstacle or whatever, because I'm a white middle-aged guy, whatever, right? But you can't look at Sue and not be like, mm, I don't know. I mean, do you have it that bad? Like, are you getting beat every night and trying to feed your kids and don't have a job and you just like live in your car. Like, I don't know, you're starting to get to a level of, you know, you get to a certain level of, of experience where it's hard. Think, think about it for each of us, whatever our, our greatest, uh, you know, trauma was, that's the extent of pain we know. Right. And so, you know, maybe, you know, it, it's, it, it's harder for you to think you can make it because, Maybe it's easier for you to think you make it because your greatest trauma is you stub your toe. Maybe it's harder for you to think you make it because your trauma was, you know, I got my accident. I was in the ICU for three or four weeks, right? Um, but there's people that have it much worse than I did. There's people that had much worse stations in life. There's all manner of things. But I still believe entrepreneurship can set individuals and communities free, that this is the thing that we should be teaching in school, that we should be teaching as early as possible, so that people uh, aren't just going, getting into school. And it's kind of like people are like cattle these days, aren't they? Right? You get out of high school, you get a college, you get a college, you get the internship, you get the internship, you go back to school for a little bit, you get your job or whatever. It's like, I don't know. I think there's such an amazing, incredible, freeing, inspiring world out there. And I really like to see everybody listening to this. Like, go and do it. Don't worry about quantum computing. Go check it out if it's interesting to you. Sign up. You can use it for free tonight. That's why I built it. 
do worry about what are you going to do? Maybe you're listening to us talk. It's not quantum computing. Maybe you're listening to us talk and you have an idea. Maybe it's a consumer product good. Maybe it's a, a spaceship. Who cares? Go right now tonight. Find a sheet of paper and a pen. Open your iPad. Open your laptop. Start making notes. Start making plans. Figure out you know, what you can get done. And go, if you can't, don't know everything, go find people to augment yourself. I don't know everything. I've got an amazing strategy officer, an amazing CTO, best goddamn lawyer and CEO I could possibly have. It's just an incredible team across the board. My chief scientist, freaking the best of the best. I'm very lucky. I don't know everything about quantum. Guess what? As an entrepreneur, you don't have to. You should want to learn it all. You should want to go on a journey. And at the end of it, you're like, you know, I kind of do know a lot of quantum stuff now. But like it's it's you know it's about getting off your ass and doing it. So the thing I would leave, and maybe the thing I would add a message to the world on, would be, done is good. Right? You spend so much time thinking about things and not doing them, and so it's like you know go out tonight, get off your ass, think of your ideas, and go do something on them. Right? You got time to go to the bar and get a drink. You got time to swipe through Tinder and all these other things. You're like, I don't have time to be an entrepreneur. It's like bullshit. You're wasting your time in a million other ways. Get off your ass and go do something. Go build something yourself. Go make something for yourself. Go make the money so that you can have the time. Don't focus on the money. Focus on the time and the freedom that being able to do whatever you want with your day brings you. And there you have it, guys. William Hurley, a.k.a. Worley. <laughs>